Chapter Thirty Three of the Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Thirty Three. This by his tongue should be a Montague. Fetch me my rapier, boy. Now, by the faith and honour of my kin, to strike him dead, and I hold it not a sin. Romeo and Juliet Hardly had Miss Ashton dropped the pen when the door of the apartment flew open, and the master of Ravenswood entered the apartment. Lockhart and another domestic, who had in vain attempted to oppose his passage through the gallery or antechamber, were seen standing on the threshold transfixed with surprise, which was instantly communicated to the whole party in the state-room. That of Colonel Douglas Ashton was mingled with resentment, that of Bucklaw with haughty and affected indifference. The rest, even Lady Ashton herself, showed signs of fear, and Lucy seemed stiffened to stone by this unexpected apparition. Apparition it might well be termed, for Ravenswood had more the appearance of one returned from the dead than of a living visitor. He planted himself full in the middle of the apartment, opposite to the table at which Lucy was seated, on whom, as if she had been alone in the chamber, he bent his eyes with a mingled expression of deep grief and deliberate indignation. His dark-coloured riding-cloak, displaced from one shoulder, hung around one side of his person in the ample folds of the Spanish mantle. The rest of his rich dress was travel-soiled, and deranged by hard riding. He had a sword by his side, and pistols in his belt. His slouched hat, which he had not removed at entrance, gave an additional gloom to his dark features, which, wasted by sorrow and marked by the ghastly look communicated by long illness, added to a countenance naturally somewhat stern and wild, a fierce and even savage expression. The matted and dishevelled locks of hair which escaped from under his hat together with his fixed and unmoved posture, made his head more resemble that of a marble bust than that of a living man. He said not a single word, and there was a deep silence in the company for more than two minutes. It was broken by Lady Ashton, who in that space partly recovered her natural audacity. She demanded to know the cause of this unauthorised intrusion. "'That is a question, madam,' said her son, which I have the best right to ask, and I must request of the master of Ravenswood to follow me, where he can answer it at leisure. Bucklaw interposed, saying, No man on earth should usurp his previous rights in demanding an explanation from the master. Craigengelt, he added in an undertone, Damn ye, why do you sit staring as if you saw a ghost? Fetch me my sword from the gallery. I will relinquish to none, said Colonel Ashton, my right of calling to account the man who has offered this unparalleled affront to my family. Be patient, gentlemen, said Ravenswood, turning sternly towards them, and waving his hand as if to impose silence on their altercation. If you are as weary of your lives as I am, I will find time and place to pledge mine against one or both. At present I have no leisure for the disputes of triflers. Triflers! echoed Colonel Ashton, 
half unsheathing his sword, while Bucklaw laid his hand on the hilt of that which Craigengelt had just reached him. Sir William Ashton, alarmed for his son's safety, rushed between the young men and Ravenswood, exclaiming, "'My son, I command you, Bucklaw, I entreat you, keep the peace in the name of the Queen and of the law!' "'In the name of the law of God!' said by the bent, advancing also with uplifted hands between Bucklaw, the colonel, and the object of their resentment, in the name of him who brought peace on earth and goodwill to mankind, I implore, I beseech, I command you to forbear violence towards each other. God hateth the bloodthirsty man. He who striketh with the sword shall perish with the sword. Do take me for a dog, sir said Colonel Ashton, turning fiercely upon him, or something more brutally stupid, to endure this insult in my father's house. Let me go, Bucklaw. He shall account to me, or by heavens I will stab him where he stands. You shall not touch him here, said Bucklaw. He once gave me my life, and were he the devil come to fly away with the whole house and generation, he shall have nothing but fair play. The passions of the two young men, thus counteracting each other, gave Ravenswood leisure to exclaim, in a stern and steady voice, Silence! Let him who really seeks danger take the fitting time when it is to be found. My mission here will be shortly accomplished. Is that your handwriting, madam? He added in a softer tone, extending towards Miss Ashton her last letter. A faltering, Yes! seemed rather to escape from her lips than to be uttered as a voluntary answer. And is this also your handwriting? Extending towards her the mutual engagement. Lucy remained silent. Terror, and a yet stronger and more confused feeling, so utterly disturbed her understanding that she probably scarcely comprehended the question that was put to her. If you design, said Sir William Ashton, to found any legal claim on that paper, sir, do not expect to receive any answer to an extrajudicial question. Sir William Ashton, said Ravenswood, I pray you, and all who hear me, that you will not mistake my purpose. If this young lady, of her own free will, desires the restoration of this contract, as her letter would seem to imply, there is not a withered leaf which this autumn wind strews on the heath that is more valueless in my eyes. But I must and will hear the truth from her own mouth. Without this satisfaction, I will not leave this spot. Murder me by numbers you possibly may, but I am an armed man, I am a desperate man, and I will not die without ample vengeance. This is my resolution, take it as you may. I will hear her determination from her own mouth. From her own mouth alone, and without witnesses, will I hear it. Now choose, he said, drawing his sword with the right hand, and with the left, by the same motion, taking a pistol from his belt and cocking it, but turning the point of one weapon and the muzzle of the other to the ground. Choose if you will have this hall floated with blood, or if you will grant me the decisive interview with my affianced bride, which the laws of God and the country alike entitle me to demand. All recoiled at the sound of his voice, 
and the determined action by which it was accompanied for the ecstasy of real desperation seldom fails to overpower the less energetic passions by which it may be opposed the clergyman was the first to speak in the name of god he said receive an overture of peace from the meanest of his servants what this honourable person demands albeit it is urged with over-violence hath yet in it something of reason let him hear from miss lucy's own lips that she hath dutifully acceded to the will of her parents and repented her of her covenant with him and when he is assured of this he will depart in peace unto his own dwelling and cumber us no more alas the workings of the ancient adam are strong even in the regenerate surely we should have long suffering with those who being yet in the gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity are swept forward by the uncontrollable current of worldly passion let then the master of ravenswood have the interview on which he insisteth it can but be as a passing pang to this honourable maiden since her faith is now irrevocably pledged to the choice of her parents let it i say be this it belongeth to my functions to entreat your honour's compliance with this headling overture never answered lady ashton whose rage had now overcome her first surprise and terror never shall this man speak in private with my daughter the affianced bride of another pass from this room who will i remain here i fear neither his violence nor his weapons though some she said glancing a look towards colonel ashton who bear my name appear more moved by them for god's sake madam answered the worthy divine add not fuel to firebrands the master of ravenswood cannot i am sure object to your presence the young lady's state of health being considered and your maternal duty i myself will also tarry peradventure my grey hairs may turn away wrath you are welcome to do so sir said ravenswood and lady ashton is also welcome to remain if she shall think proper but let all others depart ravenswood said colonel ashton crossing him as he went out you shall account for this ere long when you please replied ravenswood but i said bucklaw with a half smile have a prior demand on your leisure a claim of some standing arrange it as you will said ravenswood leave me but this day in peace and i will have no dearer employment on earth to-morrow than to give you all the satisfaction you can desire the other gentleman left the apartment but sir william ashton lingered master of ravenswood he said in a conciliating tone i think i have not deserved that you should make this scandal and outrage in my family if you will sheathe your sword and retire with me into my study i will prove to you by the most satisfactory arguments the inutility of your present irregular procedure to-morrow sir to-morrow to-morrow i will hear you at length reiterated ravenswood interrupting him this day hath its own sacred and indispensable business he pointed to the door and sir william left the apartment ravenswood sheathed his sword uncocked and returned his pistol to his belt walked deliberately to the door of the apartment which he bolted returned raised his hat from his forehead 
and gazing upon Lucy with eyes in which an expression of sorrow overcame their late fierceness, spread his dishevelled locks back from his face, and said, Do you know me, Miss Ashton? I am still Edgar Ravenswood. She was silent, and he went on with increasing vehemence. I am still that Edgar Ravenswood, who, for your affection, renounced the dear ties by which injured honour bound him to seek vengeance. I am that Ravenswood, who for your sake forgave, nay, clasped hands in friendship with, the oppressor and pillager of his house, the traducer and murderer of his father. My daughter, answered Lady Ashton, interrupting him, has no occasion to dispute the identity of your person. The venom of your present language is sufficient to remind her that she speaks with the mortal enemy of her father. I pray you to be patient, madam, answered Ravenswood. My answer must come from her own lips. Once more, Miss Lucy Ashton, I am that Ravenswood to whom you granted the solemn engagement which you now desire to retract and cancel. Lucy's bloodless lips could only falter out the words, It was my mother. She speaks truly, said Lady Ashton. It was I, who authorised alike by the laws of God and man, advised her and concurred with her, to set aside an unhappy and precipitate engagement, and to annul it by the authority of Scripture itself, Scripture, said Ravenswood scornfully. Let him hear the text, said Lady Ashton, appealing to the divine, on which you yourself, with cautious reluctance, declared the nullity of the pretended engagement insisted upon by this violent man. The clergyman took the class Bible from his pocket and read the following words. If a woman vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear the vow, and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all the vows shall stand, and every vow wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. And was it not even so with us? interrupted Ravenswood. Control thy impatience, young man, answered the divine, and hear what follows in the sacred text. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her, because her father disallowed her. And was not, said Lady Ashton, fiercely and triumphantly breaking in, was not ours the case stated in the holy writ? Will this person deny that the instant her parents heard of the vow or bond, by which our daughter had bound her soul, we disallowed the same in the most express terms, and informed him by writing of our determination. And is this all? said Ravenswood, looking at Lucy. Are you willing to barter sworn faith, the exercise of free will, and the feelings of mutual affection, to this wretched hypocritical sophistry? Hear him, said Lady Ashton, looking to the clergyman, Hear the blasphemer. May God forgive him, said Bide the Bent, and enlighten his ignorance. Hear what I have sacrificed for you, said Ravenswood, still addressing Lucy, ere you sanction what has been done in your name. The honour of an ancient family, 
the urgent advice of my best friends, have been in vain used to sway my resolution. Neither the arguments of reason nor the portents of superstition have shaken my fidelity. The very dead have arisen to warn me, and their warning has been despised. Are you prepared to pierce my heart for its fidelity, with the very weapon which my rash confidence entrusted to your grasp? Master of Ravenswood, said Lady Ashton, you have asked what questions you thought fit. You see the total incapacity of my daughter to answer you, but I will reply for her, and in a manner which you cannot dispute. You desire to know whether Lucy Ashton, of her own free will, desires to annul the engagement into which she has been trepanned. You have her letter under her own hand, demanding the surrender of it and in yet more full evidence of her purpose, here is the contract which she has this morning subscribed, in presence of this reverend gentleman, with Mr. Haston of Buclaw. Ravenswood gazed upon the deed as if petrified. And it was without fraud or compulsion, said he, looking towards the clergyman, that Miss Ashton subscribed this parchment? I couch it upon my sacred character. This is indeed, madam, an undeniable piece of evidence, said Ravenswood sternly, and it will be equally unnecessary and dishonourable to waste another word in useless remonstrance or reproach. There, madam, he said, laying down before Lucy the signed paper and the broken piece of gold, there are the evidences of your first engagement. May you be more faithful to that which you have just formed. I will trouble you to return the corresponding tokens of my ill-placed confidence. I ought rather to say of my egregious folly. Lucy returned the scornful glance of her lover with a gaze from which perception seemed to have been banished. Yet she seemed partly to have understood his meaning for she raised her hands as if to undo a blue ribbon which she wore around her neck. She was unable to accomplish her purpose, but Lady Ashton cut the ribbon asunder and detached the broken piece of gold, which Miss Ashton had till then worn concealed in her bosom, the written counterpart of the lover's engagement she for some time had had in her own possession. With a haughty curtsey, she delivered both to Ravenswood, who was much softened when he took the piece of gold. "'And she could wear it thus,' he said, speaking to himself, "'could wear it in her very bosom, could wear it next to her heart, even when—but complain avails not,' he said, dashing from his eye the tear which had gathered in it, and resuming the stern composure of his manner. He strode to the chimney and threw into the fire the paper and piece of gold, stamping upon the coals with the heel of his boot, as if to ensure their destruction. "'I will be no longer,' he then said, "'an intruder here. Your evil wishes and your worse offices, Lady Ashton, I will only return by hoping these will be your last machinations against your daughter's honour and happiness. And to you, madam,' he said, addressing Lucy, I have nothing farther to say, except to pray to God that you may not become a world's wonder for this act of willful and deliberate perjury. 
Having uttered these words, he turned on his heel and left the apartment. Sir William Ashton, by entreaty and authority, had detained his son and Bucklaw in a distant part of the castle, in order to prevent their again meeting with Ravenswood. But as the master descended the great staircase, Lockhart delivered him a billet, signed Sholto Douglas Ashton, requesting to know where the master of Ravenswood would be heard of four or five days from hence, as the writer had business of weight to settle with him, so soon as an important family event had taken place. "'Tell Colonel Ashton,' said Ravenswood composedly, "'I shall be found at Wolf's Crag, when his leisure serves him.' As he descended the outward stair which led from the terrace, he was a second time interrupted by Craigengelt, who, on the part of his principal, the Laird of Bucklaw, expressed a hope that Ravenswood would not leave Scotland within ten days at least, as he had both former and recent civilities for which to express his gratitude. "'Tell your master,' said Ravenswood fiercely, "'to choose his own time. He will find me at Wolf's Crag, if his purpose is not forestalled.' "'My master,' replied Craigengelt, encouraged by seeing Colonel Ashton and Bucklaw at the bottom of the terrace, Give me leave to say I know of no such person upon earth, nor will I permit such language to be used to me. Seek your master then in hell, exclaimed Ravenswood, giving way to the passion he had hitherto restrained, and throwing Craigengelt from him with such violence that he rolled down the steps, and lay senseless at the foot of them. I am a fool, he instantly added, to vent my passion upon a caitiff so worthless. He then mounted his horse, which at his arrival he had secured to a balustrade in front of the castle, rode very slowly past Bucklaw and Colonel Ashton, raising his hat as he passed each, and looking in their faces steadily while he offered this mute salutation, which was returned by both with the same stern gravity. Ravenswood walked on with equal deliberation until he reached the head of the avenue, as if to show that he rather courted than avoided interruption. When he had passed the upper gate, he turned his horse and looked at the castle with a fixed eye, then set spurs to his good steed, and departed with the speed of a demon dismissed by the exorcist. End of chapter 33